Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Chipping away the impact of self on this generation, I think is a really important place to start to clean that plaque, if you will, out of the arteries, because I think those arteries are much more thickened by an self presence than I think you and I experienced, mainly because we were not being flooded with as much information. Why did I become an executive coach? I saw lots of great people fail to get ahead at work while their much less talented peers blew right past them. That made me furious, but also curious. What were great people getting wrong? It came down to helping them re-examine what drove success and then helping them make critical shifts one hard truth at a time. Feel like you're doing everything you were told, but you're not moving ahead at work nor having the impact you seek? Then welcome to 97% Effective with Michael Winderoth, where we skip feel-good, happy talk and engage experts in pointed conversations about what it really takes to move the needle at work and your career. So if you feel stalled or frustrated or seek that extra edge as you move to the next level, then look no further. This is the Hard Truths Playbook you never got. I'm Michael Wenderoth, and you're listening to 97% Effective. The younger generation feels it's being asked to step up, lead, and do more with less, all while being dumped a load of problems from their 40-plus-year-old leaders. Meanwhile, that older generation, ouch if that's you, feels 20 and 30-somethings have been overly coddled and praised and have no attention spans. If this hits home, listen to my conversation with Dr. John Schaffner. John heads up the coaching program at Ohio State's Fisher College of Business, and he suggests that we need to move from combative to nutritive solutions at work, and coaching is well-positioned to support that. Lest you think John is a touchy-feely New Age guru, brace yourself. He argues we need more directness and assertiveness and to stop with a lot of leadership nonsense. If you missed my prior interview with John, you can listen to that to hear John's diverse past and him explain what coaching is and is not. In this episode, we dive into his research on coaching millennials and how that informs his Ohio State course, which covers burrito listening and how to deal with our ought selves. This interview has been lightly edited and does contain profanity. John, welcome to 97% Effective. I'm really excited to be here and talk to you. In a previous episode, you and I discussed what coaching is and is not and why you feel it needs to be used more by organizations specifically to help younger employees. Today, we're going to dive directly into your research on coaching millennials and how coaching may be best suited to their development. So, John, 
you've done this research. I thought it was exceptional. You know, you did these very in-depth, it was qualitative, but interviews of more than 200 of these MBAs who had gone through the coaching program, kind of post-life, had entered organizations. IRB, you went the whole nine yards on that. That's going to be published. And then you also concurrently have folded a lot of that into your courses. So could we pick a few of the themes or there's some in your course, there's some very interesting, compelling descriptions of the modules, but maybe start with one or two of the themes that you picked up and what we could learn from that. Mm -hmm. So coaching, essential question is what makes coaching effective for millennials was the research question that I had. What aspects of coaching makes it effective, right? So that was what I was looking for a what. So emotional access to others. So coaching taught people, people who went through a coaching course, taught them to start to build a different kind of emotional bridge to others. Identify, diagnosing, seeing emotions. Again, emotions are a massive data set that oftentimes we don't see, oftentimes is not seen as important in organizations. So building that internal exploration was the next one, like starting to kind of really structurally understand myself. EISI, emotional intelligence, social intelligence perspective, that's self-awareness, stuff that comes out in your book as well. Efficacy enhancement was another one. That's a third, which is mm-hmm. through coaching, you start to believe in yourself, right? Learning to see. Okay. So that's just another extension of that. But this idea of reframing, testing assumptions, establishing developmental frames, things that you know of from your coaching experience at Columbia, that is all about learning to see, but learning to see outside of our natural kind of framework, right? And so that's a big part that they were learning as well, which wasn't really distinct to the millennial generation Mm -hmm. necessarily, okay? This one was though, learning to help. Okay, so this was one of the ones that in terms of like, even my internal review, because you have other people review your themes to see if they're valid, this one got the highest scores on it. And essentially the idea here is we all want to help, right? We all have this desire to help. And the millennials most specifically, this is a very purpose-driven, purpose-focused generation. We see that and hear that all the time. I want to work for a company that's changing the world, that's making things better. I don't want to go to an oil company because they're polluting. Like Those kind of things are first and foremost within their framework. And this has actually been supported by research as well, right? in terms of them wanting this as an important nature. My dad wanted some respect and he wanted some certainty and have a pool of money when he retired. Like That's what he wanted. This group doesn't believe that. So they don't know how to help, okay? They've been helped a lot, all right? But they haven't learned how to help, okay? And what they found out through learning how to coach was listening equals helping. And that was the most powerful piece, right? And so when we think about this, let's hasten to the way I think organizations should sort of wake up to this a little bit is like listen better and teach people how to listen. Mm -hmm. I know that sounds silly. We make this assumption that people know how to listen. Well, they don't. Most of people listen at the burrito level, which is I call, you know, burrito listening. So, Michael, do you find burritos to be delicious? Oh, I love burritos. Say more about that. I love burritos too. And you know what? You and I are going to be great friends because of our affiliation towards burrito. And here's my little friend, the burrito, right? I throw him around in class. All right. This is burrito listening. Burrito listening is me starting to think about things about you that are similar to me and then making that connection. That's first level listening if you want to think about it from a coactive coaching perspective. Mm. That's me trying to get you to like me, right? Through something that we we share. The delicious rolled thing that is making me hungry right now, right? 
So the deliciousness of this is what we're connected around. And that's all well and good, but that's also how we're conditioned to interact with people in the world. We're conditioned to say, what's similar about you? Are you born in 1989? Are you graduated in 1989? So was I. You went to a big school. I went to a big school. You like, you know, Europe. I like Europe. Whatever it is, that's the way we listen. And we listen to Mm. our own filter, this idea of of trying to kind of figure out what it means to be. I call that Mm. burrito listening, right? I call that like, "Mm, that's delicious. Mm -hmm. Let's be friends. Second level listening, as you know, and I'll say for your audience, second level listening is, is actually listening to comprehend, right? Is, is to open yourself up to kind of understand what the other person's doing and thinking about, and to me, listening, this has also been proven. If you are able to listen and note the emotions that are coming your way, the emotional data, I like to say, that makes people feel much more deeply listened to than if you just paraphrase back. And that's an important part. So the paraphrase back piece is pretty easy to learn, right? I can just repeat back. Sounds like you like burritos too and find them delicious. Is that right, Michael? There you go. You say, yes, that's me paraphrasing back. But like the sigh you just gave or, you know, the, the, the emotional data that comes my way. The, the interesting thing about emotional data is it's so rich and it's so true. That's the thing is like emotional data is truth and we don't look at it. This part around millennials. So this part around teaching them how to listen because the listening is to help them learn. Is that the the central idea to get them kind of more beyond the level one, which can be. Well, the listening lets them, the listening touches them at a motivational core, which is helping, right? So when we're thinking about what do they want which is a question that's posed for a lot of millennials. What do they want? Well, they want more purpose-based mm-hmm. work. Okay, so they want to help, which is what that ultimately means. They don't know how to. So listening renders that or provides them with a means by which they can do that. They can get, they can feel good. Hey, I just like developing people. I like supporting people. I like people. I want to work in a business with people. Well, if you learn to listen, you actually, your satisfaction in your working place goes up. And if you are listened to, the same thing happens, okay? People don't leave jobs because of any other reason besides their feeling that they connect and fit. So feedback is is important, done well is important, but a lot of times we really misconstrue feedback in ways that isn't listening and it's forced upon. Mm-hmm. And is there on, on that topic of feedback, because that's pretty universal, is there a difference here with feedback to millennials or them getting used to receiving feedback if they've been helicoptered and praised their whole life. What's the fundamental difference there? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think for one, I, I think the fundamental difference there is they don't have, I think you and I have a, a higher immune system to, to negative feedback because it's been part of, we have had a little bit of those vaccines over time because our immune system has started to build up a, a strength around that. They haven't. And yet they, they say they want feedback. What they want is truth. They don't want feedback. That's my argument. And that's a lot of what, what, what some of the things came out of here is like, they want to know where they stand, mm-hmm. but that's, that's not really what they want. They want to be successful. They want to be heard. Uh, they want to be connected. And those things aren't necessarily, those are pretty universal, mm-hmm. but I think it's exacerbated based on the society, the sort of socialization this generation has had in such that they don't have the same capacity. Like 
I see it in ba- coaching baseball, my baseball team all the time. I coach a pretty, you know, uh, quite a competitive uh, under 15 team. And oh my, first of all, 15 year olds are out of their minds. And this is supported by their, their 100% amygdala. Everything they think about processes through is an emotional zone. And, and that's a huge toggle for me as an adult who deals with CEOs all the time who can take it. They can't take it at all. And their brains just hasn't evolved yet to take it. But just take that idea that like at 15, all feedback looks negative. All feedback feels, feels like a, a threat. And then think about where you are now, right? Like, so me as a 15-year-old, all feedback was a threat. Me as a 51-year-old now, like not all feedback's a threat. Um, but I have had those years of building up my immunity. The millennials have not had those years. And they're getting more feedback than we probably did because they're in leadership positions more. Got it. And there's an, also an assumption that they're a pain in the ass. So the so that's a problem. Perfect storm. <laughs> yes, because if I think you're a pain in the ass, what's the tone to the way I give you feedback? Think of that. It's an eye roll. It's firm. It's angry. These are all shame centers, right? These are all things that are that are poking you in non-nutritive ways. You've been listening to 97% Effective with your host, executive coach, Michael Winderoth. If this interview is making you think, make sure to share it with a friend. Now, back to our interview. So this is fascinating. I think anyone who's just listened to this particular part sees all of these elements that are there. And so, you know, if we dive into, you know, the real world, you've got the the 45, 50-year-old you know, boss and the 25, 30 year old, 35 year old millennial who's reporting to them, who's now kind of moved into a leadership position, you know, what are your takeaway snapshots of advice? Be aware of these things, but anything in particular, and and you've probably, because you've delivered some of this on both sides of this. Please don't take this as pithy response here at all. But I think part of this is Part of my research was essentially saying what some companies are starting to realize is that coaching needs to be democratized in order for it to be deeply helpful, right? And so this is a complex thing. The way that I interact with an organization, the way that my career is projecting, what I do, what the hell do I want with my life? What what is it that I'm doing here? Because my parents have curated my experience up to this point in time. I don't really authentically know what the hell I want. That's a freaking coaching topic, Michael. Right, that is a coaching topic, and if we're not providing that kind of stuff, like I don't want to hear the bullshit of like, oh, we'll have one on ones and all that kind of shit. No, build out coaching programs earlier and stratified earlier in people's career arcs because then it's going to actually be far more impactful. Back to my earlier point that executives are much deeply more barnacled into their careers and their behavioral patterns. You can get them earlier, and you can you can shape those malleable those malleable uh, parts. Of, of their behavioral patterns at this point in time, when they're 20, 25, 30, and so forth. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. So this is building in that idea here is to building in the coaching culture. Because, you know, in a lot of organizations, it, it is the, you know, for the elite few, yep. right? Who gets chosen for coaching? So this idea of kind of democratizing it, bringing in for younger people, the organization, which would probably also benefit, you know, leaders to think of themselves also as coaches and how they can bring that in. Other themes or other theme here, John, that kind of stood out in your research that's 
you know, particularly interesting and different about millennials? A hypothesis is because millennials have had such curated experiences up to date, they are pretty overwhelmed by the ought self. I ought to, this is also massively much more, so again, another hypothesis that spins off of this is social media being the, the evil demon that it is, is exacerbating the shit out of ought self projection as well, right? I'm looking on Facebook and I'm seeing that someone else is having much more you know, beautiful brunches that I am. I'm looking on Facebook and I see Michael living this grandiose life in Madrid. I'm looking on Facebook, blah, blah, blah. You, you get the story, right? We've all seen this movie many times before. And so if we're talking within the millennial world, kind of chipping away the impact of odd self on this generation, I think is a really important place to start to clean that plaque, if you will, out of the arteries. Because I think those arteries are much more thickened by odd self by an odd self presence than I think you and I experienced, mainly because we were not being flooded with as much information. How do then individuals or organizations chip away at it efficiently, effectively? The first thing is always identifying this thing. Like, what do do activities around? What are the th- so? There's an activity that I really like. Okay, so this this is a, this is here. We'll get into the tactical, my man. All right. So on one column, write all the the roles that you play, Michael. Right podcast host, father, do you have siblings? Yep. Like as a brother, you know, you are a colleague, you're a coach, you're an executive, you, you have all of these roles, right? And so I have a multiplicity of roles of like, uh, but, but d- distinguishing them, like my role at Columbia is different than my role at Ohio State. My role as the director of the fishing program, Fisher coaching program is different than my role in the classroom as a professor. My role as a consultant, my role as a trusted advisor, my role as a brother, my role as a son, my role as a father. Oh, you can see my role as a baseball coach. That's a list, man. That is a list. The next step is what is the expectation for each one of those roles? Okay. So my role as a father, what is my role there? Is it to provide, uh, to support, to teach, uh, my, my, my role as a professor, my role as a, et cetera. You get it, right? Roles. What is the expectation of others upon me in that role? The next round I do for my clients is how do we edit that so it's more fulfilling Mm. to us? Or how Mm -hmm. do we erase that? There are roles, and this is boundary work, right? This is a little psychotherapy work a a bit, but Mm -hmm. this is boundary work. And what happens is I think if you are like me, you're way more busier than you ever thought you could possibly be. And you thought life would be a lot more simpler at this point in time, and it's not. It's multifarious like crazy. At least that's how I feel on a daily basis. So those, so how do we then engage with what these roles think we ought to be doing? And you can do a couple different things there. Is there some stuff here we can call out? Maybe. Uh, Is there stuff in here that is value? We can we can start to look at that through a values activity as a coach, right? What are your core values? Are these things supporting those core values? Another way to look at these is through intentional change theory, which is, okay, you've decided, Michael, that you want to be Joe Rogan, right, in 10 years. All right, well, is this role here mm. pathing to that, or is this role, is this, is this yeah. going in a different direction, right? You throw that yeah. back on the client to try to sort of understand that. But that odd self-identification is the thing that I would I would. You can yeah. do that on a microcosmic right. level in an organization too. I'm sure you can figure yeah. that out. And that, and that, so that 
exercise, again, which the vehicle here is delivering it through coaching, right? helping individuals to work through that, this has been more ossified, kind of millennials have this much more kind of yeah. thought self. And, and, and the thing is, we're talking mm-hmm. about, a, again, we have to keep going back to the fact that this is a massive cohort, yeah. right? And to, to ignore, I, I mean, this is, this may seem super simple, but the to ignore the fact that this cohort is going to be impactful, I think is folly. I think there's a, there's also a, there's also a strengths-based way of looking at this, like being purpose-based in your workforce is probably mm-hmm. a really cool thing. Yeah. Right. Like there's a, how do we also start to flip the script on, on millennials? I think that's part of what my, my, and again, my, my qualitative research went into a quantitative study as well, because this just identified some constructs I wanted to explore. And that's for another time, of course, but I'm deeply much more impressed with and supportive of this generation. I love this generation. I think they have a lot to offer and a lot to provide. And I think they have a great capacity to make the world a better place because they're illuminating stuff that really needed to be illuminated. In many ways, we're going to look back and say, well, the Me Too movement yeah. and the efficacy, the equality in the workplace, a lot of that you can kind of put on their on their kind of to-do list. Like they've, they've established this and we generations before did not take this shit seriously, right? So I think those are good things that ultimately are starting to emerge from this. So how do we start to kind of engage our mindset in a much more nutritive, supportive, developmental way than this kind of adversarial way? Is there like one or two headlines before we dive into this of what most companies get wrong? Um, I think most companies get wrong the idea that there's a blame orientation to it that I think has to be addressed. But I also think there is, and this has been exacerbated by a Me Too movement and by cancel culture as well, is that we're, and I think this is one thing that your book is starting to kind of allow us to think about is we need to address this. Like the idea of being firm and direct is okay. And being scared that they're going to leave, you've got to allow that to be the case. Now, I think there's so much complexity going on right now that I, I don't think that I mean, we could sit here and talk about the great resignation as kind of a bit of a market correction at this point in time, because I think organizations were doing dumb shit for long periods of time. And the pandemic really just was a, a somebody pulled the, the subway break on that one. And I think that to me, I could probably write an article about how that is, that's connected around these ideas. I do think that the way parents were ultimately tending to their children is a real thing. It's a weird thing to talk about in organizational circles, but I mean, I'm a parent right now and I don't hover. I tend to be very direct. I don't think I'm a great parent. I think I actually struggle with that more than most. But I do find that there is a culture of everybody gets a trophy and that's some bullshit. Mm. That is not operationalizing to excellence. That's an example of operationalizing to mediocrity, right? And so I think there's an element of that is like, do you actually operationalize around excellence and affirm that that is where you ultimately want to go? Like excellence is a thing, but you have to be explicit about what you mean by excellence, Mm. right? If it's just some sort of bullshit that you kind of banged into the wall, like Enron did, like there's a falseness to that. It has to be operationalized. It has to live in the way that you interact and the expectations you have for people. And it's okay to say that a lot of millennials were born into a world where they were patted on the back much more. Well, if I was a coach around that, who cares would be what I'd say. Does that really matter? Like 
Why does your stance organizationally have to be combative around that? Why can't it be developmental? Why can't, as you and I have been taught and I teach, why can't we enact a sense of helping and curiosity amidst that engagement as opposed to combative, rolling the eyes, you know, which I think is the stance of more organizations than not, quite frankly. Mm, yeah. And, and But then again, we have a, what's going to ultimately happen here is that pendulum sometimes swings too far, which is done in some organizations where everybody's safe and everything's safe and jobs aren't safe. The world's not safe. Like this over-orientation towards psychological safety, which is something I teach and something I actually really value but it also, like anything, too much. My mother, this is an Irene Schaffner quote too much of a good thing becomes a bad thing. Yeah. So this is. I don't know what we figured out the middle here. <laughs> yeah. Finding the middle. And I, and I want to move us here. If we kind of use our baseball analogy, say we're in the ninth inning and uh, do a kind of a, a lightning round of, of questions here. And okay. we can, of course, have our beer sure. and much more to, to discuss or even future podcasts post. But lightning round, which are some very quick questions. Having worked with so many m- millennials, and you've talked about a lot of themes, but just give us one key idea that millennials really ought to be thinking about as they move into leadership. So millennials yeah. themselves. Yeah, that's a that's a good question. So that th- read your book, and I don't and I don't I, I don't mean that you know uh, obnoxiously. I I do. I think so. For instance, I. I'm in the process of, there's a, there's a popular course. And I don't know, maybe we'd have to talk about this elsewhere, but mm-hmm. design your life course. It's that's run by the design school at, at Stanford. I know that it's one of those popular courses. My course, my undergraduate course is kind of an amalgamation of that. In fact, I have the book here. Um, uh, we have some honors cohorts and I'm trying to kind of build out that as a specific component to some undergraduate honors co- cohorts. I, I'm going to, I'm going to provide, get promoted for them because I think there's a lot of stuff in there around power and understanding power. And, and I think you're doing really good work in terms of establishing the research behind it. So there's, there's an evidence-based element to it, which is important, but you also are like me again, burrito listening here. We're, we're both, we're both particular, we're both practitioner scholars. Like we're both figuring out where is this bridge? Where's the bridge between, between the research that's important and the action uh, that can be taken. Uh, there too. So I think, I think power in teaching, un, teaching and understanding a healthy understanding of power is teaching a healthy understanding of how networks ultimately work. And I actually do a, a network component in one of my classes. I think those are really rich, rich, boundless ways to support this generation. And I think millennials need to kind of wake up to the understanding of if they gain literacy in those two things, I think it's a really powerful, those would be powerful strengths to add. Second question that is on the flip side for this group that's in leadership now, that senior area or organizations that are absorbing these and want to move them quickly through, you talked about, you know, creating, uh, you know, organizational excellence and operationalizing that. But one key idea for them as they think about whether that's HR leaders absorbing this generation of millennials, Um, one key idea. Well, I, I think you are better served if we're going to think about strategies, right? So if I'm dropping into an HR role, I think understanding how um, the world, the VUCA world that's upon us is required, and there's sense-making is a theory, is a, is a management science theory. Um, 
how do we create time and space for millennials to make sense mm. of what's going on? Because y'all don't know in, in, in your executive suites. You don't know. You don't know what's going on because the complexity of, of the world is, is so massively challenging right now that we need time and space. So is it fair to say, though, that a core idea there is organizations need to be thinking about how to create the space and that nutritive environment I think you know, so. for people to develop. And it's, it's quite interesting because, again, you've alluded to this a couple of times. I'm over here in Europe. My wife is always observing, like, Americans and me, you're just nonstop. You just keep packing stuff in. Absolutely. It's ironic, as I say that, during the summer where a lot of Europe is not taking their time. So next question here, again, to move through this is just you brought up a lot of this, but a central question that you're looking to explore next? So the work that I did with millennials, I'd also like to do with centennials. So I'd like to recreate the same work with centennials. I'm also interested in, there has been some work in terms of improvisation and jazz and it being a leadership model framework. I'm also wanting to see how improvisation and jazz can be seen as a possible coaching framework. That's another thing that I'm thinking about from a research perspective or just from a design perspective. Well, I look forward to that. And then I'm going to use another baseball analogy. I'm going to bring in the pinch hitter here, a better podcast interviewer, which is to say, John, what's the one question I didn't ask here or we didn't cover and you think we should have, and then just lightning in and just answer it. So talkative, I think the question that I want to explore with you is, you know, how do we build skill set of assertiveness in others, right? Because that's a big part of your book. It's a big part of what I've always been interested in. It's always a coaching topic. And there's a gender divide on that sometimes as well. But like, how does assertiveness actually get developed and built? And I think your book Mm. starts to work towards that in many ways, but it's an elusive answer for me. And I think a lot of people look to me for that question. I don't know. I think one of the reasons why we're, we're connected is because I have a certain level of comfort with directness and assertiveness, right? I think you are as well that way, because that's at least the feedback you gave me when we met for like 10 minutes in a session. And it was, it was yep, like that. That's why I came back to, I right. said that was the best direct feedback I'd ever gotten. <laughs> Loved it. That is also really interesting to me is how do we develop that skill set in others? Because I think it's seen, and I don't know the answer to this, is it personality I don't think I was always this direct, man. I think this is a developed skill set. So I wonder how do I develop that skill set, right? And so that would be an area to explore. Yeah. The how, the how, right? Yeah, the how, yeah. Discussion, <laughs> the how, yeah, the how we teach it, how we cultivate it, because I do believe it's a, absolutely something you can develop and learn as well. And well... John, how do people, we'll put this in the show notes also, but what's the best way for them to either reach you or see your work or even experiencing your coaching aside from at Ohio State or Columbia? jshaffner.com. My LinkedIn is up to date with contact information in it. I'm searchable at Ohio State. Yeah, I'm pretty accessible. Those ways are probably the easiest ways to, to do that. Yeah. And we'll also make sure the research that's published, the book that is to come, that is also being co-created, I see, from a lot of your students and alumni. John, thank you very much for hey, spending time and having the conversation. This is an absolute delight. Thanks for listening to 97% Effective, where we skip happy talk and help you break through and ascend one hard truth at a time. Help others discover this show. 
leave a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you like what you heard, you can get free resources, including the first chapters of Michael's book, Get Promoted, on his website, www.changwinderoth.com. That's www.changwinderoth.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.